the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We continue on. With me today in studio is the founder and president of Reach a Village, Bob Kraft. Bob, of course, has been engaged in the world of overseas missions for, my goodness, more than 40 years. He's pastored here in the United States. The God called him overseas and initially went into Thailand and then has spent a whole lifetime, really, working throughout that whole 1040 Southeast Asia corridor. We've been talking specifically about uh, models in Miramar in Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand. And I mentioned before the break, Bob, that um, the the yardstick that's being used to measure success um, and really to spear on or drive on the ability to adapt based on need in relation to success caught the attention recently of Christianity Today. And in the April of 2019 edition, they did an exhaustive article uh, that while perhaps didn't start out to be uh, a focus piece on Reach a Village, essentially ended up being because of their tremendous interest in the yardstick that you guys are using to measure success. Tell us about that. Well, the idea uh, is not new. You know, <laughs> there's not a lot of new things not when it comes to the, the gospel. Sun, right? That's right, not a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, it was Jesus who said you should count your sheep. And it was Jesus who made sure to mention 5,000 were fed plus, plus. Well, you know, yeah. God says, I have every hair on your head, head counted. Number. Exactly. Which for, for some of us, that's an easy job for let's, him. Let's <laughs> not go there. Let's not go there. But the point is, God's interested in numbers. Yeah. Well, listen, there's even a book of numbers this is in true. the Bible. This is true. And absolutely. And guess what? Not only are there a, is there a book of numbers, but there are rows and rows and rows of names of genealogies and the the history of people who have been touched by God throughout history. He he knows them by By name, name. right? So we're hitting on something that shouldn't sound strange to us, but why does it sound strange? Well, it's because you got all these Facebook posts floating around that says, millions coming to Christ, millions, millions. Okay. Show me the numbers. <laughs> show me show me some proof. You know, a lot of anecdotal information floats around out there, and that's what caught the eye of Christianity today is the fact that we were developing tools and helping the local people actually record the names and the spiritual progress of their of these brand new believers. Last week they were worshiping idols. This week they're being followed up on. And somebody's being assigned to them to literally walk them through the steps of knowing Christ personally in a way that will change their life forever. And fascinating now historically, if we asked of a missionary, well, in your time and name country here, uh, how have things gone? And they will typically reach into um, a... A reservoir of stories to tell, right? 
and the stories give us goosebumps, and right. we go, wow, that's fantastic. Let me write you a check. Nothing wrong with that. No. The problem is, is that that anecdotal story indicative of the big picture, or is it just an isolated incident? And if it's big picture and we can say, wow, and this story has been repeated tens of thousands of times, exactly. and we're counting this based on number of conversions, number of baptisms, people involved in discipleship training, how many people are showing up to evangelistic events, number of churches planted, all of that, now now we got a reason to get excited. If it's just a single one-off story, we might say, back to your analogy, that over the course of 195 years – We've not even scratched the surface, and yet we're pounding, patting ourselves on our back about such a good job that we've done because we've never really used we, – we, we've, we've done evangelism with the same kind of tools that we do business in America, but we've stopped short of using the same sorts of analytical tools that we use to measure success. Absolutely. And maybe therein lies the real tell. Yeah, the real tell is – that we haven't paid enough attention to our own activities. We haven't, we haven't counted what matters. Mm-hmm. We haven't counted the sheep. We haven't scaled their spiritual progress. What would most people today, and I'm, I'm going to ask the audience this just straight out, if I said, oh, what does discipleship mean in your church? Oh, we have a book. It's got 12 lessons. And if you go through all 12 of those lessons, you've been discipled. In other churches, that's called membership class. <laughs> yes. But what is that the kind of discipleship Jesus was talking about? Or is it something deeper than that? Do we just measure how many, how many lessons we check off? How many classes we took? Or do you look into the character? Do you look into how free they are or how how gracious they are now how generous they are you know where are these these kind of things that we're looking for along a spiritual path to know where somebody fits and that's something that we've also tried to you can't exactly put metrics on how spiritual somebody is but there are indicators and the bible gives us plenty of how people learn and grow and then how they respond to certain things. You know, walking in the light means mm-hmm. walking in the light. I'll never forget many years ago visiting to um, a underground church in China. I won't say where. They referred to it or, or had the nickname of the Mushroom Church because they <laughs> met in an old mushroom hothouse. Oh, my goodness. And we had a chance to meet with the pastor, and over the course of dialogue about what do you do, how long have you been doing it, so on and so forth, and how big is the church. And, and we got into some numbers, and uh, over – very short moment of dialogue, we realized that if we said, well, what's your one-year outlook and you were going to be at 1,000, and what's your two-year outlook, you're going to be at, at, at 2,000, and your three-year outlook, you're going to be at 4,000, we realized that every time he jumped up a year, he was doubling the numbers. So wait a minute now. If we've gone to every church growth seminar available anywhere from New York to Chicago to Los Angeles and, mm. and Willow Creek in the middle... Nobody, no church can claim those sorts of numbers. So everybody was eager to find out what's the key, what's the secret here. And the pastor said simply, very easy. We teach basic discipleship, and we believe that each one reaches one. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the year, if you can reach someone for Christ, 
train them in discipleship, and then 12 months later have them to the point in their their maturity and their walk with Christ to then reach someone for Christ on their own and begin discipling them, that over the course of a year, you double the size of the church every year. You think of that and think, wow, that looks like that looks like the book of Acts, doesn't it? It actually looks like the Gospels. Think about Jesus. He sent the 12 first. How many did he send out the second time? Two by two. No. How many, though? He sent out the 70. He sent out the 70, yeah. All right. So that means that each one of the disciples ended up in some versions, you know, in the footnote there says it may have been 72. Now, here's my theory on that. Every one of them was responsible. One of them was responsible to bring back at least five to train to do the mm-hmm. same thing they had been doing. And those five, five times 12 is 60. Let's mm-hmm. do our math. Plus the original 12, mm-hmm. 72. 72. See, Jesus was building multiplication right straight into the activities of the disciples. It's in the DNA of the church. It should be in the DNA of the church. And so if you don't measure it, then it it's as if you don't it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Why did Jesus specifically mention seventy and then they despair you know, some people say, No, it was seventy two. Well, I understand that. Maybe Judas wasn't quite as successful and maybe to his backslid. Who knows? Yeah. But the fact that they were trying to count, they were trying to 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 put real numbers onto events of sending and going and doing and discipling. So that's exactly what what we are trying to build in and try to help these folks do. So one of the things we're doing is helping build a technology, a database. So these maps at thaichurches.org are all built off of a database that tells where the churches are. And if you dig in even closer, make sure you click the little uh, British flag so that everything's in English on that site. You can actually see that pastors can upload their data about how many people they are, their their address, their phone number. So it's actually a church directory for a whole nation. Mm-hmm. We don't even have that here. No, we don't, do we? Yeah. No, we don't even have that here. So technology can help us be better at what we're we should be doing with the gospel. Bob Kraft in studio with us today, the founder and president of Reach a Village. Information available on the web at reachavillage.org. That's reachavillage.org. A timeout as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. Let me again share that website address if you'd like to get more information. We're talking about uh, the ministry of Reach a Village, um, whose footprint, and while I put this in context, we've been focusing almost singularly on Southeast Asia, but the footprint of Reach a Village is far much broader than that. Um, How many countries off the top of your head do you have an impact in these days? Consistently uh, in about 20 but it's up to 23, depending on doing a project instead of a long-term. Yeah, so sometimes it's in and it's out based project. on the need, exactly. sure. And and complete information, again, on the, the breadth and depth of Reach a Village online at reachavillage.org. I was struck by the fact that in addition to capturing the attention of Christianity today, as you have, um, even in your annual report of the ministry, is very results-focused. 
This is a little bit unusual in that we 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 typically as Americans kind of you know we're we're project related. We raise money, it goes into that project. We that we're on to the next. Um, going back and and measuring not just the fruit but how long lasting is the fruit, to what degree is the fruit capable of multiplying on its own. That arena we've we've come up significantly short as we've been discussing here today. Uh, you're straightforward. You get into page number one of your <laughs> annual report, and suddenly you're hit with numbers that are real, measurable yardsticks of impact. How many new believers? How many churches have been planted? How many people have been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what I love about this, Bob, is that you can then take this same model and and it sounds like it's been kind of a petri dish in a sense it has in in thailand but to take this model and say wow um the flexibility then that we've recognized needs to be inherent to what we do in any place in any culture um can then be moved from nation to nation but the metric the yardstick has to be applied as well so then we can think on our feet and quickly adapt if we find something is working, pour more steam on. If we discover something is not all that successful, we can immediately go in and say, okay, time to do a little bit of retooling. Everything centered in on the the common goal of effectiveness, multiplication, and we talked earlier about putting that tree in the ground where the roots can get a chance in native soil to really take hold and really grow strong. We, we look at it as uh, measuring your impact. You know, how much impact are you having and at what cost? So like I said, it, uh, yeah, we can send a missionary to, to Thailand and, and have a church after seven years. That, that is a reasonable expectation. At what cost? We're not asking that. It's not at what cost. Because if the average, say the average salary is $60,000, let us put it down at about $60,000 to keep a family on the field, but I, it's more than that. I know it is. But let's say it's 60000 times seven years. So how much have you invested in planting one small church in a country of over $100 million? No. So you've invested a lot of kingdom money. Um to get that result when there are actually nationals, local people who are well-trained and extremely capable, and they're able to do it for a fraction of the cost. And not only a fraction of the cost, but also a fraction of the the time investment. Oh, absolutely the time investment. I mean, it's in every area. It's more effective in every area, and it's more efficient in every area. So, um, and I know that you can't put you can't put numbers or dollar signs on a soul. You can't do no. that, and you Understood. can't put it on a calling. You know, if God has to take me to Thailand to break my heart, then it's priceless. Because if that's what I need to get closer to Him, and He calls me to do it, uh, recent character in in. In this kind of an example would be Francis Chan. We've all seen how he's kind of morphed his way through his own journey about church. Mm-hmm. And you know, now heading off to Asia to 
because he feels called to go. So how much is that actually worth? I'm not I'm not asking how much it costs because it's it's costly. I yeah, I started out by selling my car to buy the plane ticket. But the cost is much greater than that. The the deeper in you go, the personal cost, you know, all of that. But in economy of Christ, your spiritual development is worth it, whatever it costs. But if it can be done, as I think I told you this earlier, if I want to spend the money to go and try to replace a local person who already speaks the language, already speaks the cult, uh, has the culture down, and can articulate the gospel in beautiful ways that people are responding to, if I tried to spend the money to go over and replace somebody like that, it would be silly. Why Why would I do that? It would be outrageous. I mean, outrageous. Yeah. But if I didn't try to help them speed the process along of reaching more villages among their own people, of unreached people, then I'd be selfish. Well, a term that we often use in business growth um, when it comes to putting in place a strategy to get a business off and off the ground, up and running, and then give it the, the kind of tools, the adaptability that it needs to take it to the next level is scalability. What's scalability. the scalability like? Absolutely. Can we take this to the next level? Can we take the franchise here in town and take it to another town? Can we take it to another state? Uh, and, and, and can we multiply the reach of our business so that we can see greater numbers, greater return on investment, the stockholders are happy, everybody's happy? Same thing is true in this case. Historically, though, we have not thought much about scalability. We've not really used the traditional measurements uh, of success other than to say we've gone, we've sent somebody, we've spent this amount of money. Right. We feel good about it. Um, Do we feel good enough, though, to say that we've really been the most effective that we could do um, to be engaged in that multiplication as we see demonstrated throughout the first century church? And the answer, of course, there largely historically has been no. It's not been all that successful, not because the gospel is not effective, but because we've used the wrong tool that did not have the agility to be scalable as it needed to be. And scalability can can come in two or three areas, the way I look at it and the way we've been working with people over the years. Mobility is one of the factors. If someone has a desire to go into a village, for example, but they only make $5 a day and it costs $4.5 to feed the kids, then can they afford the 50 cents or to ride into another village on the back of a motorcycle, spend the night or whatever? The scalability of the local economy sometimes drives where we put our money. Mm -hmm. So to build their capacity and their scalability, as you put it, that's a great way to put it. We call it capacity. To To help them build their capacity to do ministry, we focus funds on this area during this period. And then all of a sudden, if their economy picks up and they got their own motorcycle and they're putting their own gas in. We don't have to worry about that. But printing materials and making Bibles available out in that remote area, yeah, we we have to think about that. So we we put money into that area. And so our our funding does shift from place to place depending on the maturity of the movement. Based on and, the need. And mm-hmm. local economy. 
The need, the need. So, uh, and, and is the goal here at the end of the day, Bob, in all of these scenarios to not only utilize, obviously, nationals to be the most effective at reaching, but also to ultimately um, have a sense of dependence? Because I think one of the shortcomings of the sort of Western style of evangelism has been we transport our methodology to you. You try to replicate what we're doing. And in the process, you become dependent upon us forever. Maybe one of the reasons why we've kind of got stuck is that we find that we're now having to support a church in a village, in a community for decades, as opposed to growing them to the level where they can be independent and thriving on their own to then say, we have success here, we're moving on to the next village. And then you can see the ability of replication work much faster as opposed to getting bogged down where it's one work for centuries, decades. Uh, that is correct, and we do look at that that kind of thing. For example, we've been in uh, Cambodia since uh, I've been working there since 2001. So, about 2004, 2005, we might see four or five hundred baptisms per year. About 2010, they had a thousand in one day, and so we stopped. You know that that's. Okay, just tell us the total number baptized nationwide. This past December, for example, we tallied up from last year for Cambodia. So this is slowly grown. We've helped them build the capacity. 58,313 new believers from the network that we work with in Cambodia and that I've been working with for 19 years. Mm. That network... 58,313 people came to the Lord. So the the impact long term is staggering, but it's it's all it's their capacity. Uh, we haven't increased their budget by that many million dollars, no, at all. As they grow in their ability to follow the Lord, create materials, now they they've even written study notes for their own study Bible in Cambodian. This group put the, together study notes for a study Bible, and we published it for them. Wow. But they did the notes. The pastors themselves said, oh, this verse needs this kind of explanation. Oh, we need to describe this archaeological whatever. Our people don't understand this, so here's what we need to put in the notes. You know, we don't need to take some Bible from here necessarily and then translate the notes just straight out for that culture. They have their own questions. They have their own worldview, as you said earlier. So building the capacity of local ministries to do more ministry effectively and efficiently, that, that's our goal. That's our ultimate goal is just to help them do the Great Commission better than we ever could. That's it. Robert Kraft, reachavillage.org. That's reachavillage.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Reverend Robert Kraft, founder, president of Reach a Village. Information on the web at reachavillage.org. What what do you want listeners to know? What's the takeaway here in terms of where things are right now in that all-important 1040 window, and specifically in your arena of expertise and focus, Southeast Asia? What's the big takeaway right now in terms of what the current climate is spiritually, what the element of 
persecution may be, either culturally or institutional from, say, the government? Um, and then most importantly, what's the, uh, what's the potential? What's the growth factor look like? Uh, I would say this, this is a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be working the gospel in that region of the world, even though it doesn't have the – I don't get the CNN effect very much because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's focused on the Middle East. It's focused on other – for goodness sakes, on politics. But American politics. But what what is happening, actually, is that the foundation, the seed that has been planted, is flourishing in soil that seemed to be dry and barren 40 years ago. That soil has suddenly become very productive. So we, uh, as I said, by 2010, we had seen the single largest one-day baptisms in Cambodia in the history of the country. Now we're, we're seeing it in Thailand. These two baptisms this past year, uh, one in January, one in October, both were the largest single baptisms in one day of Thai people in the history of the country, in the history of Christianity in that country. So these kind of things work. We should move to a model of missions that works. We should have some engagement in it. And, and, People are traveling more than they've ever traveled. So, you know, you can go to Thailand and go look for yourself, you know. So we, we, have, a, we have an opportunity because of uh, a lot of these countries have changed their tune about persecuting the Christians within their countries as they have needed economic growth and infrastructure. So they're lightening up. Even Vietnam is lightened up a bit on this whole persecution thing in order to get tourism, in order to get a foreign aid to come in and help build roads and to get investors to come in, business investors. And they probably, I would imagine, over a course of time begin to realize that, um, you know, like the old adage, what would you rather have in your neighborhood, another bar or a church, <laughs> that having the presence of Christians um, is good for business. It's good for the community. Um it puts less stress on the government. You're not dealing with the crime element. You're not dealing with so many factors that otherwise traditionally are there devoid of the influence of the gospel. Uh, I was there in Cambodia in October. Now imagine this. This is, this is a place where by the end of the Pol Pot regime, 1980, and the end of the Vietnamese rule in 1990, so we're talking not that distant mm -hmm. times, they were, they were down to like 200 believers. And the government was the ones behind yeah, persecuting there, there, or killing them. Or there had been an active purge active going on, particularly during the Khmer Rouge period. Right. But imagine that since 1990 to this point, the government in this meeting in October with 3,000 Christian leaders, uh, there's an article in December of Christianity Today in December online magazine, if you look for it, just type Cambodia in the December search and you'll find it. The, the prime minister and his speeches, a link is there to his speech so you can read it in English. But he thanked the 3,000 leaders that were come together for the impact of Christianity in their nation. Cambodia, wow. where the killing fields were. I heard him say wow. it. I was there at the event. He, he thanked them for their... The, the input that they had given into the educational system, they're building schools, they're creating 
nice environments for people. They're helping with drug addicts and uh, rescue of the trafficking girls that are being trafficked. It is the Christians on the front line. And it's not just foreign Christians. I can tell you uh, case after case where we've put no money into an orphanage. I haven't put a dime as Reach a Village. I haven't put a dime into an orphanage in any, in any country. And yet I go back and visit some of these villages where there are now thriving churches. The church has built its own little orphanage out there for, for a particular number of kids. I went to another village that had the children of inmates living in a, living with them. At the church facility, they were taking care of prisoners' children. The gospel is the seed of great change mm-hmm. in a society. And honestly, it's what, it's what made America great. If we, need to, if we want to make America great again, we need to make the Great Commission great again. Yeah, absolutely. That's what the church well, needs and, to do. And, and you find that, that when there is a degree of spiritual maturity, yes. they become not just better family members, better fathers and mothers. They become better neighbors. They become better citizens. Absolutely. Everybody benefits at multiple layers, multiple tiers. No country that, that has allowed the gospel to spread like Cambodia has, which the, the prime minister said, you are free to continue what you've been doing. Wow. <laughs> and we've been planting churches and villages, going from village to village. There's 8,600 villages left in the country to be reached. But thousands have already been reached, thousands of villages, yeah, and the government uh, is saying— And you're going, these, you're going to make a dent out of it as opposed to just to scratch the surface. Yeah. You will change a country when you change enough communities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the heart of a nation— and, and Jesus is all about redeeming people. But as you redeem people, you redeem families. And as you redeem families, you redeem communities. And then it just spreads all the way to the country level. You have an impact on the entire country. And that's what the gospel is supposed yeah. to do. You want to change a nation, start by changing hearts. That's it. Um, for folks that want to get more information, we've talked about your website, reachavillage.org. Um, there's a glimpse there not only in terms of um, the recent historical effectiveness in terms of the, the, a lot of the metrics we've talked about today. Um, you have profiles on many of the nations where you're you're currently actively ministering. Yes. Um, what else is available if folks want to go a little bit deeper and say, you know, I'm intrigued by this. I'm intrigued not just by the metrics of measuring success, but also the methodology of empowering Natives. So again, going back to that right. example, the potted right. plant, we're going to bust out that old restrictive um, clay pot, plant it into native soil, and let it flourish there. There's nothing worse than seeing a 400-year-old, two-foot-tall redwood. Isn't that the truth? You know, and, and I think the church has kind of become that. So if, if you dig around on the website, there's, there's – my my web developers tell me I have way too much stuff in there. You know, it's not ever going to get read. But that's a good place to start. Just just browse and look around. Uh, you'll find plenty of material there, blogs and other things that we've written. Even our method, we, we're beginning to put more. We're, we're finding that people are resonating with, with the structure of how this is a holistic approach mm-hmm. to the Great Commission, more so than just one piece of the Great Commission. 
Sending missionaries is only one small piece. Making disciples, creating material, mobilizing the locals to be able to go, mentoring and monitoring them and measuring their activities, all of these are... are yeah, you, you also have a strong focus on youth outreach, children, uh, and the importance of not just planting that seed, watering that seed, and then helping that young sapling grow straight and tall. Yes, so that involves them, the local people choosing the right children's materials that they use with their own children and with other children as they reach out. Um, <clears throat> actually, when the village strategy is, is a household strategy. Uh, here in the West, we tend to, to put the elementary kids in elementary school, middle school kids separate in middle school. Everybody out, we yeah. separate everybody out. Time for children's church, and they hey, all it's run It's time off. for everybody yeah. with gray hair to go to your yeah, Sunday school it. class. Yeah. Everybody with, you know, young, under this age, go to this Sunday school class. So we tend to do that. We tend to kind of specialize. But in a village setting, a village is small enough that everybody in the village knows who snores. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can hear through the walls in a lot of these countries. So I've had them even laugh at me because I stay sometime out in the village and they hear me snore. So there, there's no secrets. So when you say youth ministry, children's ministry, it does happen, but it often happens in conjunction with other ministries so naturally. Well, it's, it's a much and, more natural thing. And the health of that support of multi-generational uh, is so critically important because there are so many lessons that can and most naturally should be handed down. If you talk to most sociologists, they'll say, you know, one of the big problems we have in America today is the disconnectivity that we have between generations, that kids grow up and they're separated later on from their parents. Grandchildren only see the grandparents, you know, every now and then. And the benefit of being able to pass down knowledge and wisdom is just lost. Yes, and behavior. In a village... You know, it's it's hard to misbehave and, and still call yourself a Christian. I mean, there there is this communal way of looking at life. And accountability. And accountability. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a natural built-in cultural accountability, especially in Asia and especially in these cultures in warmer climates where, where the walls are thin and life goes on in front of everybody. What I love about what you're doing, and I think listeners will, will discover the same thing when they go poking about your website, reachavillage.org, and that is that there are no secrets here. Um, they're not out to copyright any special methodology or trademark something. It's simply discovering best practices, sharing those best practices, measuring the success of those best practices, and then ultimately um, repeat. Repeat. And, uh, you know, multiplication across cultures and societies. Um, You know, again, as we said in the beginning, the message is universal for one and for all, for all mankind, right? We understand that God changes not yesterday, today, and forever. But the methodology that we use to communicate that message can and most necessarily for it to survive and to thrive needs to not only morph and to change, but also needs to be adaptable and and most importantly needs to be able to allow to be in an environment where it can grow in a native fashion, as we discussed, and therefore bring forth much fruit. More information available on the web 
at reachavillage.org. That's reachavillage.org. And I'm sure you're always looking for new ministry partners, people that want to support the ministry, certainly prayerfully, but also financially as well. Yes, prayerfully and financially. You know, imagining trying to to help with Bibles for 58,000 people. That's kind of a tall order. <laughs> it, it is indeed. It's a good you know, problem to have, though. It's a good a problem to good have. problem to work on and finding a solution. And if you want to be part of the solution, uh, again, information available on the web, reachavillage.org. That's reachavillage.org. I'd like to thank Bob Kraft, founder and president of Reach a Village, for being with us today. Robert, always good to see you. Craig, always good to be with you. And I appreciate the opportunity today so much. Robert Kraft, reachavillage.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.